We all said goodbye to Comiskey Park in September of 1990. So many amazing memories and stories that absolutely must continue to live on. Uh, well, there is a new documentary capturing the essence of that last year of the baseball palace of the world and that exciting 1990 White Sox team uh, that went down fighting. Uh, Matt Flesh, uh, the producer and director of the three-part documentary, Last Comiskey, uh, will join me in just a moment. You are locked on White Sox, your daily Chicago White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Sox fans, welcome to Locked On White Sox. Thank you for making Locked On White Sox your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Sox. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, just search Locked on White Sox. Hey, I'm your host, Nick Murawski, a lifelong diehard Chicago White Sox fan, recording this podcast just blocks from the ballpark in beautiful Bridgeport. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore GGTB. Locked on White Sox is part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, there is a new uh, three-part documentary entitled Last Comiskey uh, Part 1 drops Thursday, March 2nd at 8 p.m. Uh, great to have the producer uh, and director, Matt Flesh. Uh, thank you so very much, Matt, for giving us some of your time. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for having me. Matt, uh, I, I'm assuming most people are uh, aware uh, but I shouldn't assume. I would say a lot of White Sox fans, especially those that are on social media, uh, are aware of you know some of the projects uh, that you put out. Uh, it was there were multiple parts that kind of came in in 2020 and throughout 2021 uh, on that year 1990, the last year of Comiskey Park. Uh, and you're you know you're taking all of that information and all of the new data and all of the new footage and everything else, and you've compiled it into this new, uh, crisp, concise, packaged, uh, three-part uh, doc. So uh, was a second installment, you know, a, a result of maybe fan reaction, people reaching out and saying, oh my goodness, can you please do more? I, I've got tons of footage, I got tons of photos. Or was it something you and, and maybe your brother knew that just, it was eventually going to happen? Well, yeah, in 2020 with the pandemic, we, you know, we were looking for something to do you know, nights, uh, baseball season was delayed starting. So we put together the first installment and it was really just video that we were able to gather up on YouTube and then we narrated it. And I think what it was is we got a really good response from fans. And then we also got a pretty good response from people who were with the team. And so we heard from Ozzy Guillen really liked it. We heard from Jack McDowell, Nancy Faust reached out. So we started to think, you know, what we put together was our take on the season as fans in that first effort that we put out. And we thought, let's let's revisit this and let's hear what it was like to play for that team. Let's hear what it was like to be a beer vendor in the park at that stadium. Let's hear what it was like for Nancy Faust to play in the Oregon from 1970 and on. And, and we started to do these interviews, these Zoom interviews, talking to players, talking to executives, to fans vendors security and it was just a blast to, to get all these stories and then we we had enough where we thought we got to put this together 
and tell a story that really is kind of more of a true documentary where you're getting different perspectives from people who were there. Yeah, it's uh, it's so well done. And, and you had you gave me an opportunity to uh, do kind of a, a pre-screen of, of part one. And uh, boy, it, it, a lot of goosebumps, a lot of memories. Uh, and it's really for for any White Sox fan. Uh, you know, if you want to uh, revisit, this is perfect for you. If you just want to educate a little bit on, on what the late 80s and the, and the 90 team was all about and and the mystique of old Comiskey Park. This is absolutely perfect for you. And uh, speaking of that, you know, Nancy Faust made a comment in, in part one that I loved, and it was kind of kind of be 1990 was the year we were going to be saying goodbye to Comiskey Park. Uh, but then that team, that team caught fire. That team was a fun team. They they were pushing uh, the juggernaut, Oakland Athletics, and, and I. I love there's a shot in part one of the menacing, the large new Comiskey kind of just uh, casting a shadow uh, over uh, old Comiskey. And it felt that way with that Oakland A's team, that big Oakland A's team. And here is this scrappy, tenacious uh, 1990 White Sox team. How did that 90 White Sox team keep pace uh, with that Oakland A's team? Yeah, it was it was a very surprising year because going into that year, everybody predicted the White Sox would finish last. They had some young players. There was some excitement there because there's young players, but they're saying they're going to be ready in two or three years when that new park is in its first or second year. Maybe they'll start to come around and compete. And I, I really think what made that team special was I think Torborg was a really, really good manager. And I think what he did is he gave those players, those young players, that he gave them, he showed confidence in them and he put them in the lineup every day. He let them fail. You know, Ventura went 0 for 41. A number of those people, those players, they struggled. And Torberg stuck with them, but he demanded that they play the game in a certain way, that they, they play good defense, that they play fundamentally sound. And they were scrappy. You know, they, they, they fought for every run. They had, you know, Walt Herniak, a lot of the players in the documentary talk about how Herniak would just fire up the team before the game, tell stories, have a plan for every pitcher to just attack, attack, attack. So I think that whole team really bought into Torborg's philosophy. And that's part of the reason that they were so successful that year. And, you know, on top of that, they just had an incredible pitching staff. That bullpen that year was probably the best bullpen the White Sox have ever had with Thigpen, Barry Jones, and the rest of those guys. I like your analogy, though, because you're right. Like the stadium was like this monster that you saw growing and growing and growing as the year went on. And by the end of the year, it was like, I think the upper deck in the new park was like as high as the light standard in the old park. And then you got the A's too. this, you know, this this team that's like growing and growing with, you know, steroids at the time. We didn't know yeah. it then. But I mean, they're so much bigger than the sack. So. You love that underdog, that underdog story and just kind of the villain of the A's with that new stadium going up in the background. It was just a really interesting year as a fan. Yeah, the uh, Oakland Athletics, uh, 1988, they went to the World Series, lost to the Dodgers, went back to the World Series in 1989, beat the Giants. And, uh, you know, after they won the AL West, they they did go to the World Series and they, uh, they lost uh, to the Cincinnati Reds. But... Uh, yeah, they were an absolute force. Uh, and I think Scott Radinsky in, in part one talked about how just 
you know, talk about a team that might already win a game before the game even starts. They arrive on the field, they're walking around, and they're just ginormous. And and Radinsky's like, I, I, their smallest guy is bigger than our largest guy. And it just it felt like the chemistry, you know, t- hearing these outtakes from McDowell and, and Hibbert and, and Guillen uh, and Fletcher and how they were such a family uh, playing for one another. And, and I do want to talk Torborg a little bit later uh, in this episode, because I was surprised uh, how much love uh, that Torborg uh, got uh, from, from a lot of players. Uh, but was there a specific player that, you know, you were interviewing and, and reached out to and talking to, and you were really surprised by what they had to say uh, or had just the most entertaining stories? Yeah, I would say, you know, Ozzy was, uh, extremely entertaining and one of the things that was was cool about Ozzy is that he remembers 1990 so fondly he played a lot of years he played a lot of great years with the White Sox and he also of course was the manager in 2005 but he remembered that 1990 season so fondly and also he just he has so much nostalgia for the park that he loved that ballpark and hearing him talk about how that park was that was his house and you know when they went to the new park, he really missed that, that place. He didn't think he'd miss it, but he really missed it. And hearing those stories about what being in that park, the memories of that park mean to him and his family uh, was, was really, really cool. I'd say the other guy that was, um, was quite an interesting interview is Jack McDowell because Mm. he's, he's (laughs) such an old school, um, you know, he just, he's got a lot of issues with the game today Mm-hmm. And he's very uh, forthright with with his perspective on that. And a lot of what he said, I, you know, I'm on the same page with McDowell, so I'm in yeah. agreement with some of it. Uh, but I, I loved hearing him talk about pitching, and I, I enjoyed talking to all the pitchers. I'd ask them, what was your approach as a pitcher? You know, what was your mindset when you were out there? And one of the things that McDowell said, and others said as well, is that you know he wasn't trying to get batters to swing and miss. He wasn't trying to strike guys out. Because if, if the batter swings and misses, he has to throw another pitch. He, he's trying to get the batter off balance, wants him to hit a light, lazy fly ball, a ground ball. And what that lends itself to is great plays in the field. You know, you have that team turned a ton of double plays. Ozzie Guillen made an incredible amount of just insane great plays in the field, Lance Johnson, because those balls were being put in play. You had those starters going deep into games. They trusted their defense. Their defense was lights out. They were on their toes because the you know balls were being hit in play. And those are some of the things that I that I miss about the, that old game that I have a lot of nostalgia for. I hope the game can get back to that at some point. But McDowell's take on just just that approach and how you know from his perspective, if pitchers would take that approach today, they'd have a, tr- a tremendous amount of success. And you see it with guys like Cueto. You know, you you see people pitch that way now and have success but it seems like the game goes more and more towards just kind of the fireball overpowering fastball you throw five five innings 100 and pitches and you're out of the game and then you go into your your bullpen and uh just i just don't think it's as interesting as it as it was but again i'm i'm an old school guy i'm showing my age here no yeah no i i I completely understand where you're coming from and, and i agree with that and uh you know as i was watching you know the footage that you gave me uh, last last year, while the 2022 season was going on, I was I was kind of going through what you had planned for part one and uh, hearing these interviews. Uh, it, it, the way the season was going for the White Sox, I just felt like oh, I wish we all could see this right now. I wish the team could watch this uh, and how that 1990 team 
uh, what their mentality was. So I, I want to get to, you know, in just a moment, Matt, I want to pick your brain on kind of the heartbeat of that 1990 team and, and, and really how impactful uh, Jeff Torborg was. So uh, we're going to get to that uh, more in a moment uh, with Matt. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Uh, the midway point of the NBA season is here, and now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, uh, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Uh, just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Uh, then you can bet on anything from the money line to point scores and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. Uh, so don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Uh, so, Matt, you know, I was... Uh, we hit on Jeff Torborg and I, I was just shocked at how many players uh, talked about him and, and Ozzie Guillen, you can even share a little bit of what Ozzie Guillen said about Jeff Torborg. And Ozzie Guillen is, has been around the game for a long, long time as a player. And of course, as a legendary manager with the Chicago White Sox. So uh, from your perspective, um, how instrumental was Jeff Torborg with that 1990 team? I think he was huge. And I, I think when you hear the players talking about Jeff Torborg, they all have such a respect for him. And they all talk about how he created a family in that clubhouse. And that that's easy to say. It's easy to say we're a family. We play for each other. It's a lot, it's a lot harder to actually make that a reality. That's hard work to bring a team together day in and day out. And I think Torborg set that tone. He wanted the team to be a family. Don Paul talks about how Jeff Torborg was one of the only managers he's ever heard of who let players take their family on the mm. team plane. Mm -hmm. And that was the kind of thing, like it was, it was a family among the players and a, among their wives and their kids. And I think that really set a tone. And that was important to Ozzy too. Ozzy's a family guy. His kids were always with him back in the day at, at Comiskey Park. You know, I, I talked to Jeff Torberg a couple of times on the phone. Uh, Tom Scher is, uh, is kind of been my senior editorial person on this project. And he was able to hook me up with Jeff Torborg. And I called him. He's not in the documentary for a variety of reasons. We couldn't work it out where, where I could do video with him. But talking with him, first of all, he's just a good human he's just mm -hmm. he's a good person he called me back he spent 45 minutes on the phone talking to me about that team and one of the things that he said that resonated with me is he said that team played so hard they played so hard and they all played so many games and they were just exhausted like by the time september rolled around they, that team was exhausted for for how hard they played and and how deep into games they went so I, I thought that was interesting. He, and, he, and Torborg had so much respect for Guillen and Fisk and those veterans. And he also just created an environment where those young players could be themselves, you know, and um, and really he put them out there. I think that I think that's really important. Instead of platooning a Ventura with maybe Steve Lyons at third because he's struggling, he said, no, you're our third baseman. You're going to work through this. You're going to play through it. And that's something that Ozzy said a lot is, you know, the only way that you get better, the only way you get out of the slump is to keep playing. And Torborg, I think, with that young team, he had some leeway because there was no expectations. So he could leave those players out there 
and and let them develop. And I yeah. think, and then yeah. to have a Fisk who's kind of a quiet leader, the commander who just commands respect, and who spent a lot of time mentoring and nurturing a lot of those young players. And then you have somebody like Ozzy who's just nonstop talking. Uh, always on everybody, you know, in the ear of Ventura at third, yelling at Frank Thomas, just kind of on everybody. And Lance Johnson talked about how, how you know, Ozzy Gian, the cool thing about him is he ripped on everybody, including himself. He was just nonstop, you know, just, just ripping on, on the team or complimenting them, depending on what the situation called for. So when you have somebody who cares that much as a manager and you have somebody who cares that much as your shortstop and your captain and your catcher, um, that sets you up for success, and I think that's that's part of the reason things really started to come together for that team. Yeah, uh, I I would say uh, you know when you think about heartbeats of that 1990 team, uh, Ozzie Gian, I, I just feel like would have to be mentioned in that in that realm. And, and if you are a fan uh, that has never you know you just know Ozzie Gian is the manager of the Chicago White Sox and someone that does pre and post on NBC Sports Chicago, and you don't remember or you weren't around for his playing days, oh, you are going to really love uh, this documentary. I mean, he was just a, just a magician uh, at, at shortstop, and uh, it was great to hear you know, the teammates talk about him and, and his passion and, and, and his love for, for the city, for the neighborhood, for the stadium, for the fans, everything uh, that came along with it. Um, you know, just trying to think about this 2023 team, and it's early still in spring training, but there's a lot of high hopes, a lot of potential for this White Sox team. A lot of frustration among fans, wishing that the offseason was uh, a little better, and I completely understand it. Uh, after going through what you went through over the last couple of years and, and compiling everything and talking to so many wonderful people from the 1990 a team. What can this 2023 White Sox team borrow uh, from that 1990 team? What they did so well? Yeah, I, th I think uh, you know the thing that you know, and, and a lot of things just they seem kind of cliche. You, you hear them at the beginning of every year. At the beginning of every year, you, you, you hear certain players are going to be leaders this year. It's their year to step up. Like you're hearing about, I think Mankata right now. They're mm -hmm. saying he's going to step up and be a leader. You're you're hearing things like players are going to get back to the fundamentals. And uh, I think our new manager is somebody who is going to drill that. So I have high hopes. Uh, and you're hearing that they're going to be, you know, they're going to be better at base running and they're going to be more aggressive. And, you know, I, I think what you can learn from that 1990 White Sox team is that they, they talked that game, but they also performed that game. And I think that's the grind. 162 games of that is really tough especially nowadays, I think keeping it a clubhouse tight where the, 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 the clubhouse is, you know, where players are talking to each other, they're communicating, they're motivating each other, and then they're playing the game where every at-bat counts and every pitch counts night in and night out. I think you have to have commitment. And uh, I think our, our new manager is somebody who is, is definitely, to me, he seems like I, I have high hopes. And, uh, and then you just got to see some of these guys, some of these players really step up as leaders for this team to set the tone in the clubhouse. And maybe that'll be Tim Anderson this year. Maybe he'll, I think we need to see Tim Anderson play 145, 150 games. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think he could be that leader. Um, and I, you know, I think Elvis Andrus is a great, is a great presence too, as a veteran guy who maybe can step yeah. up and, and lead as well. But I think, I think that this team, I think if you look at the way Ozzy played, you, you look at the way they were on top of each other, uh, I think there's a lot to be learned for the, for the way that that team came together. 
Yeah. As I was watching uh, part one and, and, you know, just taking in all of the, the, the things that were said about Torborg and the different players, it, it reminded me a lot of what we've been hearing about Grafol this past off season. Yeah. You know, he, he's been, he's been saying all the right things and I like the direction, the culture he's trying to create the chemistry uh, and, and exactly you're right on with Elvis Andres and these other veterans and, and guys like Luis Roberts stepping up and, and guys like Jimenez that need to absolutely stay uh, on the field and see what we can get uh, out of them for 140, 150 games. Um, uh, in just a second, I want to get uh, just a sense of, you know, other threads uh, in this documentary. There's so many other fun little, you know, avenues that it, they, you know, as a Sox fan, you go down these different rabbit holes, uh, of not just the 1990 year, but all these other uh, years uh, while Comiskey Park was uh, was standing. So going to get to that in just a bit with Matt Flesh. One thing, you know, Matt, uh, I, I did want to ask you is, you know, when they when we found out that old Comiskey Park was going to be uh, demolished, you know, like the, a new park was coming. Uh, and now that you've kind of talked to all these people and, 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 you know, I would say you're like an expert on, on 1990 and, and definitely Comiskey Park. And when someone says Comiskey Park, I, I think of you and I think of your brother. Um, and I think that will be how it is for a long, long time. Why didn't why didn't architects, why didn't they just kind of take what old Comiskey Park was so great about old Comiskey Park and just build a brand new Comiskey Park, making it look exactly the same, just it's, it's updated with modern amenities and uh, better construction. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and in hindsight, that would have been awesome if they did that. It, and the thing, they, they don't build any new parks like old Comiskey Park anymore. It's just not the blueprint the the blueprint now is it's almost all the same like there's a little bit of different window dressing on all the new parks but they're all the same they all have you know three or four rows of sky box and then they push the upper deck on a pretty steep incline pretty far away it's like an apartment across the street you got (laughs) you got a really far view um from the park so i don't even think that was a consideration yeah when they built the new park and i I wish they would do, you know, I think if you were to build a new park and you were going to take old Comiskey Park and kind of use that as a model for a new park, there's things you would change about the old park for sure. Like you would, maybe you would, the seats behind the poles under the upper deck, you know, maybe you make those suites back there, you know, and you, you have the suites under the upper deck. I mean, maybe there's interesting things you could do so that you're not putting the upper deck way above a bunch of suites. I don't know. You know, if I was talking with Brian Powers, who's an architect, just about that. When I was interviewing him for this, he recreated Comiskey Park as an animation. And, you know, he's an architect and he's he's spent a lot of time looking at ballpark design. And and he said, yeah, you could build a park like that. There's you know, but they, they want suites and you got to find a place to put those because it's such a, a revenue driving force is to is to have these expensive suites businesses go in there and it's part of the game but you lose so much when you don't have the fans feeling like they're on top that those you know why is baseball so popular in boston you know why is why does wrigley field have you know why do so many people go there and enjoy a game there even if they're not really baseball fans they go there i mean there's a lot of reasons for that right there's the the community there's kind of a party atmosphere but but it, I think it's because when you go there, you, it's a different vibe. Like you feel like you're part of it. You really feel like you're in the action. You really feel like you're on top of it. You feel like you're somewhere truly special. 
And these newer parks are a little bit more, you know, stale. But yeah. I'll say, like, when, when New Comiskey Park was being built when I was 15 years old, I was excited about the new park. Mm-hmm. I remember just mm-hmm. couldn't wait to go to the new ballpark and reading all about it and, yeah. you know, just how the sight lines were going to be so great. And I remember getting up in that upper deck because that's where we always <laughs> sat. Yeah, oh, yeah. And just at first being like, wow, I mean, this is crazy. Like, it's yeah. so steep. I, I can't even believe it. And then yeah. – yeah, I just remember being kind of depressed, like, God, like, <laughs> like look at what we had, and it's mm-hmm. being it's being bulldozed right before our eyes as we yeah. go to these uh, these new games at the new park. So, yeah, I mean, you wish you wish they could have replicated it. And my hope is that when they build new parks moving forward, they start to kind of maybe they start to look at those old bar, ballpark designs and they make a truly retro park. Yeah, because uh, I think they talk about retro parks now, and I I don't think they're truly really retro i think they do some things but the other piece of old comiskey is the arches oh, I mean, sure. that, those arches yeah. were they, they were beautiful that it was beautifully designed the, yeah. that old park um i you know and i want to hear about what we're going to learn you know in part one part two part three uh but first maybe just set us up with some of the uh some of the other interesting storylines and threads you know we, we mentioned nancy faust and just the energy that she 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 brought and and there were other characters and, and personalities and there were different eras uh if you could just speak a little bit on, on what else fans might find uh besides just 1990 uh, in that battle with the uh, oakland athletics yeah it, it's a lot about the ballpark and the experience of being in the ballpark and the, and the experience not just for the fans although there is a lot of that but also the experience for the players in the clubhouse and there's a segment where you really kind of go into the 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 uh, the the, uh, the clubhouse of Old Comiskey Park, and you kind of see how cramped it was. And you know they they had two toilets in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had there's a lot on this Chicken Willie, who was the clubhouse manager, who would cook in the clubhouse, making fried chicken and all this kind of soul comfort food. And players between innings would go in there and get a hot dog or, you know, a bacon or whatever it was. That, that is unheard of these days where probably yeah, every player sure. has a personal dietitian. But to me, it's really interesting what it was like playing there and, and playing in such a cramped quarters. There was a spiral staircase. You had to actually like walk through the stands to get to the batting cage, which is on the second level. So to me, all those little nooks and crannies, uh, there's there's quite a bit on that. And those characters like a Chicken Willie who the players just loved that guy. Mm-hmm. And everybody talked about him. It actually, it, be, it became how I would start every interview for this is every player. <laughs> the first question I'd ask them is about Chicken Willie, which I thought it was kind of a good way to just start things off that, you know, because um, everybody lit up talking yeah, about him. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, then there's the Nancy Faust bit. And uh, she she just, you know, she created an atmosphere and a sound of that park. She was an absolute innovator. She created the walk-up song. She created Na Na Hey Hey Goodbye. She had all these little inside jokes that she would play. You know, when George Brett came up, she would play songs about how, you know, you can't sit down because he had hemorrhoids. Right. Like just hilarious uh, inside stuff that if you're a fan listening, you're just, you're dying. You're cracking yeah. up and, and just kind of keeping that game energetic. Uh, one of my favorite parts is on the beer vendors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lloyd Rutsky, who's a beer vendor since like 1965 to 2019. Mark Reiner, he's still there. He started, I think, in the 70s. Wow. He's a singing vendor, so he's, he's he'll sing a song if you buy a beer from him. He did that for years. Uh, David Ruggendorf, who's actually been an awesome. So some of these people have been such allies helping me yeah. with getting, in, getting photos, getting videos, uh, even doing some PR right now, like reaching out to media contacts to try to help me get stories. Uh, but those beer vendor, um, those those stories from the vendors are so much fun just to hear 
you know, what it was like in the seventies with, you know, all the smoking and the drinking and the fighting. And, uh, you know, it, it probably wasn't the most fun to go there on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> as if you're a family man, like me bringing, I probably would never bring my daughter to a game yeah. on a Friday night, but it's, I find that kind of stuff really fun, um, to hear about what it was yeah. like, you know, people blowing off steam after work and just kind of letting it go. And there really are no rules and they just let loose. Yeah, it, you know, we we know the we know the visuals, you know, you could close your eyes and you can picture, you know, Comiskey Park, but really what was it like to be there? Uh what was it like, you know, on a Friday night or a Saturday night or if the Yankees were in town or if there was a rival or, you know, uh, and and I love that part of it. There's some stuff on the 1977 uh, yeah. Southside Hitmen and so before I let you go, just kind of break down part one, part two, part three. Uh, part one's going to drop uh, tonight, 8 p.m., and then part two the following Thursday, March 9th, and then part three, March 16th. So each part uh, kind of give us a, a just a heads up of what we should uh, expect. Yeah, and I, I can't believe this is finally happening. I'm, I'm really excited for <laughs> it to, to come out tonight. I, I really hope people people like it. Each episode is about 35 minutes. And I hope it goes by fast. I hope people like it. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of great input has gone into it. Just awesome collaboration. We got a great sound guy, Mark Vandy. Pichinata is a longtime colorist in Chicago who helped color the film. Tom Share with with editing, and and then just a ton of other people who submitted video, home video. You're going to see a lot of footage of the old park that hopefully you haven't ever seen before. But the you know, the first uh, episode. It goes into just that that 1990 team and how they were supposed to finish and last and how they started to turn things around and then what it was like with people going to the park because it was the last year, but also going to the park to cheer for this underdog team that nobody thought was going to be any good and just the electricity when the A's came to town, just how that ballpark just filled up and it was insane and incredibly loud and just boisterous and just a, just an incredible time. Uh, to be going to watch the White Sox play. So so that's part one. It also, it goes back in time a little bit to when Nancy Faust started and takes you through the 77 Hitmen, takes you through Dick Allen, 1972, Kenny McReynolds recalling, you know, Kenny McReynolds grew up in the, um, in the projects um, right by uh, old Comiskey Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was, it was uh, I can't remember the name of the, of the, of the uh, housing project that he, grew up in but he walked to like every single game he went to and mm-hmm. hearing his recollection of dick allen and what it meant for him to come and what it meant for the neighborhood um really really cool stuff and then uh part two it gets like more into the grit that that team had what made them uh what made them fight and keep fighting and why they were so fun to watch and how they didn't really back down against the a's and they were cocky they had this confidence that a lot of the players said that they hated to lose more than they liked to win. You heard mm-hmm. that a lot. They expected mm-hmm. to win. There's these young players who just, you know, had that tenacity that we hadn't seen yet as fans. Also goes back in time a little bit to 1983. Dan Evans kind of takes us through there. He was a young executive at the time who it was the first guy who really used computers and saw that if they brought the, the, yes. the fences yeah. in, that it would give the Sox a big advantage over the opposition. And it was a huge factor in 1983. And then that team, you know, chemistry is a big part of the 83 team too. And then it gets into the draft picks too. So it gets into uh, McDowell, Ventura, Thomas, and Fernandez. And Dan Evans kind of walking through, why did we draft these guys? You Mm. know, it wasn't just about their skill. It was about their makeup, you know, what they were like as people um, and how they put that team together very purposefully, which I I love that stuff. Uh, I love getting that inside kind of scouting why they approached it. 
Yeah. And then part three really just brings it home. Uh, one of my favorite segments is on the bull is the bullpen, just how the bullpen was a really tight group too. They all came up together. They would, you know, goof off in the bullpen, you know, the game boys were popular. Then <laughs> they did game boy tournaments, reading the paper, playing putt puck golf out there. And then, um, you know, getting ready right before they came in. So it's kind of just, I've always thought like the best job in the world would be being in the bullpen, right. you know, like being like a middle reliever, like a Wayne Edwards or a Don Paul. But in talking to those guys, like it wasn't, it was fun. like their memories of that. It just sounds like it was a blast. The yeah. other piece of that too, though, is they have to, they have to earn their spot every spring training. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no guarantees mm-hmm. they could get traded at any point. So they talked about that too. Yeah. Um, and then it takes you home with a, you know, a lot about the old park, a lot of old footage, a lot of reflections on what that park meant, just not because of the baseball play played there, but just families growing up, um, father, sons, uh, you know, that that park was like a second home for a lot of people that it, it there's so many memories attached to it. You know, you, you, you move houses, you move schools, but like yeah. you keep going to the same ballpark and, and just what that meant to, to people and the new parks like that now too. But the old park, just because it was so tight, it was so close, you know, we were just so on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And it was such a festive kind of carnival. I think it was particularly special. And then yeah. uh, it takes you out with the very last game and, and uh, I, I like to say that the documentary is a joyful documentary of just about baseball. Uh, I'm a baseball fan first, a Sox fan second. Mm. I, love, I just love baseball. And uh, it's just kind of about how that the game kind of brings people together and how the White Sox, like this being a fan of the White Sox is a special thing. Absolutely. I mean, that is, you said it, uh, it is a special thing. And uh, I mean, young and old, uh, no matter how into the Sox you are, uh, this is a must watch. So please let us know where you can find it, where we can find you on social media, all that good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So the, uh, the documentary, the first episode again, airs tonight, 8 PM on YouTube. The YouTube handle is at last Comiskey 1990. And uh, you know, most people probably know this, but you don't have to watch it on your phone or on your computer. Mm -hmm. Like most smart TVs or Apple TV or whatever, you could watch it on your television. And like I said, we have a great sound guy who mixed this whole thing in stereo so the sound is really good. The, the music is by Nancy Faust. You're going to, I think that, that the sound hopefully kind of brings back a lot of memory. So hopefully people can listen to it with some good sound. So at YouTube at last Comiskey 1990 and then Twitter, we're at last Comiskey and uh, we'll put a lot of outtakes on there over the summer too, as we kind of clean up the project, we have a lot of stuff that didn't make the documentary, but so tonight you got 8 PM and then March 9th, 8 PM and then March 16th. Uh, also 8 p.m. We try to kind of fit it in between the Super Bowl and March Madness yeah. uh, when people just have less less to watch. It's a perfect lead in then to, you know, opening day is just a couple weeks away after that. And uh, man, I can't thank you enough just on a personal level for everything that you, your brother, everybody that has worked on this, uh, the amount of man hours I can't imagine, a labor of love. Uh, but I, I absolutely, uh, and I'm not joking when I say like, it is like a love letter uh, to White Sox fans, to that park, to the organization. So thank you so much for everything that you've done. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. And thanks. Yeah. My brother, Mike is, is an, is an awesome collaborator. Uh, he's, he's a driving force behind a lot of the tone of this. I, <laughs> I, I had a, like a little bit of a darker approach and he kind of put a little bit of sunlight on it. Uh, so he's in, in just, you know, helping me through the edits and the sequencing. So just, like I said, like, this wasn't just me, there was a ton of people who played a role in, in making this, what I hope is something that people will really enjoy. But Nick, thanks for all your advocacy for, you know, what we're doing. You're, uh, You've been a a great supporter of our work and it's really appreciated. 
Absolutely. I will continue to shout from the mountaintop uh, to give this uh, a listen to follow you guys and uh, we'll stay connected. Thanks again, Matt. All right. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Folks, thank you so very much for making this podcast part of your daily routine. You can find the Lockdown White Sox podcast absolutely uh, everywhere you find your podcast. We're on Twitter at Lockdown Sox. You can find me on Twitter at Nick underscore uh, GGTV. And don't forget to subscribe to our uh, YouTube channel and get your questions in for next week's mailbag, LockedOnSox at Gmail. Dot com. Thanks for making Lockdown White Sox your first listen. Now, for your second listen, check out the Lockdown Fantasy Baseball. Uh, win your league by listening to Matt and Dom every day as they bring you the best fantasy draft strategies. Find Lockdown Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. Uh, just a reminder, there will not be a new episode uh, on Friday. So just keep watching uh, that last Comiskey uh, part one over and over. I will be actually uh, at spring training, getting a firsthand look, uh, but coming up on Monday's episode, all the action and recaps from Glendale, Arizona, as our White Sox inch closer to opening day. Hey, really appreciate you making time for the Lockdown White Sox podcast. I'm Nick Morowski, and until next time, go Sox.